<laughs> uh, anybody having fun yet? Uh, is anybody nervous? Because uh, if you're nervous, you're not as nervous as I am because I'm having to be on stage and talk about this. Um, I, I'll let me just say this. Here at OneChurch.tv, uh, we want to talk about real things that real people struggle with. And, uh, and that's the reason why we're talking about bedroom confessions for the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at uh, some confessions that people have that many times they don't ever verbalize. And you definitely don't verbalize them in church. Uh, but we're going to be verbalizing them in this church this week. Now, I'll just give you a heads up. Uh, this is rated M for mature. So if you have children in here, we have environments for them. And I would encourage you uh, to be able to make use of those environments. Uh, uh, and please do, because we're going to be uh, talking about some things that's going to make me blush. And when I say them, uh, you're going to be blushing too if your three-year-old is right next to you. So, again, we're talking about these confessions that many of us privately hold, but we never do voice, and uh, we rarely get honest enough to be able to talk about them. And it's, these are real admissions and struggles that people have. In fact, many of you have, and I think all of us have. And all of these are confessions that things that many of us, we say in our heads, but we don't ever talk about in church. And frankly, it just seems like the church has been silent over the years when it comes to sex. Uh, churches are famous about talking about things that no one cares about and silent on things that people are struggling with. And, you know, uh, I'll never forget when I was in seminary, one of the biggest things I heard from seminarians is, you know what, seminary answers questions that people aren't asking. And I feel like that's many times that's how churches uh, do. You know, we'll argue about uh, how to interpret revelation and the symbolism, argue pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, uh, elemental trib, I don't know. Uh, but when it comes to things that we are really kicking the slats out of our life, we just don't ever talk about those things. And, uh, and I think we're going to talk about them this, uh, this week and over this series because we have to talk about it. Um, the, sex is just one of those things that it's so powerful that people's lives are being ruined. So many couples, uh, their, their marriages have been ruined over Facebook. And while the church keeps silent about this, kids on the Montgomery County school bus system are having oral sex in the back of the bus. We've got to talk about this. And we're talking about it not for, because of the shock value. Uh, we're talking about it not because you can hear my opinion. Uh, we really don't need anybody else's opinion on this. This is not me being Dr. Phil. Uh, I, in fact, I'm just going to encourage you that uh, I, the, even though I'm not an expert on this, and my wife, if she was here, she probably is, she would say amen when it comes to relationships. We're going to present, and I'm going to present to you what God has to say about relationships from the Bible. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to offend a lot of people. Um, but and, and there's going to be some people that walk out. But just know that if you walk out, uh, I didn't offend you. God did. And everybody will know it if you walk out. Anyway. <coughs> All right. Just I'm kind of joking. Um, but here's the thing. One of the things that we do at one church, and, and I'm going to say this. We're not a perfect church, but you need to know this, that everything we do here at this church is intentional. Uh, we want to be intentional about giving people helpful things and very pragmatic things that they can be able to hang their hats on because in the real world, outside of these walls, I mean, marriages are falling apart. And one of the things I struggle with, the things that I struggle with as a pastor, is when I see couples split up um, because it's just difficult. 
And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've went through that, the split-ups and the divorces and the separations, and it's just hard. It is very, very difficult. So I know that there are single people here in the room. There's married people here in the room. And you come in here and you're like, I can't wait for church. And you're smiling. But behind those smiles, there's a wall between you and your spouse. Uh, There's single people here uh, that come that have dug themselves into some some holes physically and sexually. And there's these tensions. And you're like, I've screwed up my life. Can I ever go back? We're going to be talking about those things. And, uh, and some of you are like here, like, you know, I'm a single person and you're talking about bedroom confessions. Is this going to be applicable to me? And I'm going to say absolutely it will be. In fact, today's passage of scripture is crazy applicable to all of us. And, uh, and the tensions that we feel, the good news is that these are not any new tensions at all. You see, uh, even though the times have changed from 2,000 years ago when Paul and Jesus and the disciples all hung out, you know, people are pretty much the same. People are jacked up. People are messed up. And it's not new. And that first generation in in the first century struggled with these bedroom tensions. And and, and here's the thing. We're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament where what's interesting about this is that the church of Corinth was such a great example because they were speaking and they were wanting to interact with Paul and they wrote a letter to Paul asking all of these different questions when it comes to sex, singleness, marriage, orientation, adultery, prostitution, incest, and Paul, he pretty much addresses all of those in the letter of 1 Corinthians. So the church of Corinth put together a big list Hey, we got this and this and this, and they sit that to Paul. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and we're going to be dialoguing with this. Now, this is what's so interesting about this. As just as uh, the church of Corinth actually sent a list of requests and questions to Paul, we're going to ask you to do the same thing as well. So up on the screens, you're going to see it up here, there is a number where you can actually ask questions. Now, normally it's my cell phone number, but I have a lot of you guys in my cell phone. And if you, t- you, know, t- you know, text me these questions, I'm going to know who it is. So we're going to keep this completely on- anonymous, right? Uh, completely anonymous, and you can text it to this Google number, which we won't know who it is, and you can ask any question when it comes to about what God has to say about relationships, marriage, and sex. So I uh, would encourage you to be able to do that during this three-part series. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul is addressing these questions specifically as it relates to relationships. And this is what it says. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. Now that makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? After you have the background. Yes, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. First of all, as a parent of a teenager, I want my child to memorize this verse. Right? I want them to know John 3, 16... In 1 Corinthians 7, 1, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. And I mean, and here's the problem with that. As we grow up and we read this, it is good to, to, to say no to sex. We think, are you kidding me? I mean, God, I, I officially cannot relate to you. 
I get it. But remember, when a verse of Scripture doesn't make sense to you, just dig a little bit deeper. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And here's the context. Because so many people uh, think, and, and most people think that Paul, when he wrote this, was single. In fact, when he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, we believe that Paul was single. But here's the kicker. We know for a fact that Paul used to be married. How do we know that? Well, Paul was a member of the Pharisees. And in Jewish law, you could not become a Pharisee unless you were married. So we know that Paul was married once. He's single now, but he used to be married. And what happened? Probably one or two things. His wife either passed away, or probably what happened is that when he became a Christian and he changed his name from Saul to Paul, that the in-laws and his wife probably cut him off and cut him out of the marriage relationship. In fact, you can go to China today, and if you become a Christ follower in China, here's what's probably going to happen. Your, your parents and their, your wife's parents are going to cut you off, and you're probably going to lose your job. So it's very common today, and it was definitely common back in the first century A.D., that once you become a Christ follower, it was going to cost you something. Now, let's dig into this because Paul, he used to be married, he's single now, and he knows what it's like to be on both sides of the fence here. And what he's saying is this, that singleness can be a good thing. Singleness would be, there are some advantages of being single. You can devote yourself completely to God and his mission without worrying about kids and a family. Uh, hear me, it's not easier to serve God and love God when you have a wife and kids or a spouse and kids. Anybody want to agree to that? It's just more difficult. There's more, more, there's more people pulling at your time. And if you're single here today, I I want you to just listen to me because I want to speak to you first in this series because I totally believe it's going to be relevant. There are advantages of being where you're at right now because right now if you're single, it's the easiest and the best time in your life to find your identity, contentment, and your worth not in a woman and not in a man but in God through Jesus Christ. You can find your true identity there. You can be able to know what it means to have healthy relationships with God and develop healthy relationships with other people. The easiest way for you to find contentment being married is to first find contentment being single. I mean, that is so true. And a lot of singles, maybe you're here and you're waiting on God to give you Mr. or Mrs. Right. But let me just tell you this. I think many times God is waiting on us to give us Mr. and Mrs. Right. He's waiting on us to make sure that we're going to be the type of person our Mr. and Mrs. Wright can be able to, to, to be able to embrace. I think many times God is waiting on us because he knows that if he gives us Mr. and Mrs. Wright, that we're not going to focus on God anymore, but we're going to focus on them. And they're going to become an idol to us. So I think he's many times he's waiting on us. So if you're single, chapter 7, verse 1, yes. It is good to abstain from sexual relations. Now, in this series, we're not just going to be talking about the ought-tos. We're going to be talking about the whys. Because I think that's important. The why, why is it better to say no? And then Paul addresses the married couples since Paul used to be married. He says this in verse 2. But because there is so much, what? Sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own wife husband. That's God's stance on marriage. 
And he goes on, verse 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. And some of you, if you grew up like me, you're thinking this. Okay, you're talking about sex in the church. And some of you, how many of you grew up in church? Let me kind of see your hands. All right, a lot of you guys, let me say this. I don't know if your growing up in church was like mine, but this is what I was taught about sex in church, that sex is dirty, nasty, and ugly, and you should save it for the one that you love. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just kind of, I don't think that's what the Bible is. Here, Paul is talking about it very frankly. And he's not talking about it as nasty or dirty or any of that. Uh, he's talking about it, and what we're going to see, it's a gift from God. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband, verse 4, gives authority over his body to his wife. Now look at this next one. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. This is every man's favorite verse in the Bible. All right? This is where the men should go, Amen. all right? But you're wise enough because your spouse is right there. She so don't do that unless you both re- re- listen. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so not like ten years, so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Now, in all of my years as counseling married couples, I've never had one couple come up to me and say, "You know what? We're not having sex right now because we want to devote ourselves more completely to prayer." I, no one's ever said that. But let me share this with you. I think there are natural ebbs and flows of every relationship that, uh, that it's just it's more difficult to be sexually intimate with your partner, with your spouse. It just is. Uh, let me give you a couple of those. Um, uh, when uh, somebody's pregnant, when your wife is pregnant, uh, when your wife has the baby and afterwards, it's just difficult. When you have the baby up until about 17 years old, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> But really, a preschooler, having a preschooler. I mean, those who have preschools, preschoolers, you know, they just sap the energy right out of you. And you're always running around, and, you know, and it's just difficult. Let me tell you another a difficult time is when somebody has a life transition. Uh, maybe somebody lost a job or changing jobs, or somebody lost, a, a, um, lost someone close to them um, through death. It's very, very difficult. But even through these natural ebb and flows of relationships, what Paul says next is so very important. He says this, Afterward, you should come together again. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of what? Self-control. Once again here, let me give you the background. Because evidently, there are some more tenured Christians in the church of Corinth, and they had a spouse uh, who maybe want, oh, they weren't a Christian yet, and just as today, those mature Christians who thought that, that sex was sinful, that sex was sinful and dirty, and again, which is not the case. Sex is a gift from God. It's not a sin, it's a gift, if it's given in marriage. But evidently, there were some people who were becoming Christians, and they thought that the best way to honor God was just make a commitment to be celibate, even though they were married. So in this letter Paul was going into that he got, evidently some of the more tenured Christians that were married, they were complaining. And probably these people were men. They were complaining, hey Paul, Jesus is killing my sex life. Jesus, I mean, ever since she became a Christian, I'm not getting any. I'm not getting it. And this is one of the most common held confessions, bedroom confessions that we're talking about. And this is, I'm not getting it. Now, when I say I'm not getting it, we immediately think of what? 
sex, and you're like, can I say that? Yes, you can. Um, we, we immediately think of sex, but I want to define this it. Yes, sex is it, but it's a whole lot more than it. It's any needs. And what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at that the it isn't just sexual. Yes, Paul addresses that there. But we're going to be seeing that the it includes our physical, emotional, and relational needs. Because here's the thing. As human beings, you have needs. I have needs. We have needs that only God can fill. We also have needs that only other people can, can fill, fulfill. And then we have some specific needs that only people of the opposite sex can fulfill. I mean... Do you remember in the beginning, if you grew up in church, you know the story of Genesis and, you know, uh, men were perfect and you're like, when was that happening? Well, it was just only one and he's not you, buddy. Uh, It's Adam. Adam, he was created perfect and he was the only perfect person up to that point who ever lived. He was perfect, no sin. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. Adam had a, lived in a perfect place, in, in a perfect creation. Adam had a perfect situation. He could go hunting anytime and not ask anyone, anyone's permission. Everything was perfect. Everything was great. And yet, listen to what God talks about Adam, what he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, It is not good for the man to be, what? Alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, Adam wasn't alone. He had a perfect relationship with God. Yet God says it is not good for the man to be alone. So God creates a helper suitable for him. Now, I want to spend some time on very specific words in in this verse. The word not good. In the Hebrew, I did a lot of deep, deep studies. The word not good in the Hebrew means not good. And and let me give you some context. Up to that point, God is creating a lot of stuff in Genesis chapter 1. He creates light and he says, it is good. He creates, uh, uh, you know, he creates, uh, separates the light from the darkness. He says, it is good. Uh, He creates the earth. He says, it is good. He creates the fish and he says, it is good. He creates mammals. He says, it is good. He created uh, uh, Adam and he, he says, it is good. He created cats, and he, and, and he asked, who, who created this? I didn't create this. <clears throat> um, but he created all of these things, and he said, it is good. But the first time he says it is not good has to do when, when Adam was alone. You see, we serve a God who actually lives in community. Uh, that there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit, and we call this the doctrine of the Trinity. But God is not alone. That God doesn't want anybody to be alone. And this is one of the big reasons why here at OneChurch.tv we talk a lot about being in community and that circles are better than rows because we we want One Church to be a place where no one stands alone. That everybody has somebody they can link arms with. Now, look at the word helper. I will make a helper suitable to him. Uh, 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 By definition, a helper is someone who cares for someone's needs, making sure that their needs, who needs help. So men, God recognized you needed help, right? The women already knew that. But, I mean, and and hear that, that God created a helper suitable, which means she's just what you need. 
God designed her so that her strengths will complement your weaknesses. Now, some of you might think that helper is someone who is less than someone else, but that just isn't the case. In fact, do you know that God is called our helper? Listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 70, verse 5. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my what? Helper and my Savior. You see, God made a helper suitable for you. So God has called our helper, and, uh, and we would never draw the conclusion that he is inferior to us. So let me also just say this, guys. Many times the voice of God might seem a lot like the voice of your wife. That's intentional. That's intentional. That God's voice and God's conscience in your life just might be uh, the voice of your wife. And if you don't listen to her, you're doing probably something idiotic. I'll give you an example. I'll never forget, uh, early on in one church, uh, there was this person um, that, at another church who was a secretary, and she heard that we were getting ready to launch off, the church that launched us off. Um, she was working there, and I said, hey, Kim, what would you think if we hired her um, uh, as uh, the sec- one of the secretaries? And she says, absolutely not. Really? I mean, I think she's nice. I mean, she's very helpful. And she says, I, I just, I got something in my spirit. I don't think you ought to do it. Every time she's around you, she's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's always, and I just don't feel comfortable with it. So you know what I did? I didn't hire her. Now, not, it doesn't mean she's a bad person. It just means that I would have been an idiot had I not listened to my wife. And guys, many times if you don't, it doesn't mean you always have to agree with them. But you better hear them out because their voice might just be the voice of God in their life. And let me just say this as well. So many times uh, opposites attract, I mean attack, I mean attract, you know what I'm talking about? My wife and I are opposites in every way. We have two things that we got in common. Jesus, we love Jesus, and we both love music. That's it. Now I can say, and we both have children together, okay? That's pretty much where it ends, right? But let me tell you, that is intentional. Many times when, when couples get together, when a man and a woman gets together, they're many times very opposite. Why? Because if you were both the same, one of you would not be needed. One of you would not be needed. That God wants to bring, wants to complement your weaknesses with her strengths and wants to complement her weaknesses with your strengths. So don't buck against being different. Accept it. All right? Now, what's so interesting about this? It says this, I think even though many times we all have needs, if men or women, they are different needs. And that's why I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. Because in the book His Needs, Her Needs by Dr. William Harley, uh, over 2 million copies have been sold. He's a clinical psychologist, and he is, after thousands and thousands of hours of counseling both men and women about their own struggles and temptations and tensions and confessions and complaints... He decided, you know what, I'm going to write a book about the differences that men and women have in their needs. So, let's look at a man's most basic need. Anybody want to take a guess what it's going to be? Yeah, sure. There it is. Sexual fulfillment, right? No shocker there. I mean, it says that most guys think about sex every seven seconds. So, I'm just going to let you ladies count for seven, and then I want you to hit it. All right. Now, the next one. Let's look at the next one. The next one is recreational companionship. Now, this might surprise some of you ladies, but, and don't make fun about what the man in your life is passionate about. 
it's, if it's football, then yes, I mean, you go for football. You be screaming at that television tonight, right? You do that. Uh, if it's hunting, if it's fishing, take an interest in what he's passionate about. And not only let him do it, but go with them as he does it. Be in their world. Care about what he cares about. If it's hunting, go kill a buck and field dress it. Eat the heart. I'm just joking, all right? You're like, deuced out, not going to happen, right? All right? So anyway, but you get in. I mean, Kim and I have counseled so many couples in ministry over the past 25 years we've been in ministry. And uh, one of the things that we have heard over and over is uh, between the husband and the wife, that the wife says, you know what, I really don't share his calling to ministry. That's his sort of thing. Uh, God called him, not me. And Kim is like, no, no, no. That's not the way it works because when you got married, you became one flesh. You belong to each other. You care about what each other cares about. If you want that kind of a, a, a solid marriage, you've got to be companions. You've got to be a team. You've got to be a partner. So ladies, be engaged. Recreational companionship. Now, the third one, it's going to get me in trouble, but this is just what the book says. An attractive spouse. Now, before you freak out on me, ladies, you did something so that he would put a ring on it, right? Right? I mean, you, at one time, you were like, he was like, ah, right? I mean, let's put on the Barry White, right? Hey, baby. All right? See, and please don't take this out of context. This simply means do the best with what you got. Right? Do the best with what you got. Uh, and that means you can't live in sweatpants and a sweatshirt all day. Right? I mean, every once in a while, fix your hair. You know, um, put on makeup. Whatever, right? I'm going to get off that quickly, all right? Domestic support. Domestic support. Let me just say this. Ladies, you know this already, but if we weren't married to you, we would never take showers, right? We would never do our hair. We would never put on deodorant because we, the, the worse it smells, the more we like it, right? I mean, guys, you know what I'm talking about? You ever smelled something and go, oh, baby, you need to smell this, right? Come here and smell my shoes, I ain't smelling your shoes. No, they're awful. Come here and smell them, right? Ladies are exact opposite. They smell something good. Hey, smell this candle. This smells great. And guys are like, no, not at all. So we're different, all right? Embrace it, all right? So, I mean, so thanks for domesticating us is what I'm trying to say. You know, guys, we many times we don't recognize all the stuff around the house. We don't. And I know, ladies, you get frustrated with us. We don't see that pile of clothes. You see it. Many times we don't, and the pile probably isn't bothering us at all. It bothers you. It doesn't bother us. We don't naturally see the stuff that needs to happen. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, ladies. I mean, sometimes God, you just need to make us a list. Because here's the thing I know about guys. We want to win, right? We do. We want to be able to score the touchdown, so give us the list so that we can be able to do it. And then, guys, do the list. Moving on. Number five, admiration admiration. Guys want to be admired. We want to be looked up to. And I'll give you a tip, ladies. If you, want, if you want your husband to take out the trash more often, every once in a while, when he gets it right, just compliment him. Just compliment him. I mean, when you see him sacking up the trash, say, honey, when I saw you picking up that trash, it's like your biceps bulged, right? Man, that's attractive. And, and guys are going to go, Really? You know what? He's going to be taking out the trash three times a day. You're going to be going through those glad trash bags quickly 
Because he, he wants to win. He wants you to, to admire him. On the flip side, if you're always running him down to your friends, making these little passive-aggressive jabs that are funny to everybody else and everybody laughs at him, but you know and he knows that there's real aim behind it, you're going to tear down everything. In fact, this is what Proverbs 14.1 says. A wise woman builds her house while a foolish woman tears hers down by her own efforts. Ladies, are you being a helper or are you being a herder? Are you tearing him down by your own words? Because he is becoming what you say about him. He is. He is becoming what you see in him. And he's going to become less of what you want him to be every single time when you tear him down. Every single time. Why? Because no matter how he acts to you, your opinion of him matters so much. Because as guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. Many times, as guys, we already feel defeated. We already feel like failures. We want you to be our cheerleader. Now, ladies, you have needs too, right? Excuse me? Okay, mm-hmm, all right. I'm getting to those needs right now. Now, if you're a guy, this is where you need to take out your pen and paper, and you need to write. And especially if you've got a guy who's got a woman right next to him. Now, this is what the, the, the first needs that most women have is simply this, and this is the his needs, her needs, is affection. Affection. Now, let me tell you what affection is. Affection is non-sexual touch. Non-sexual touch, right? I mean, guys, can you say this with me? Non, you can't do it, can you? You cannot do it. Because you start rubbing the back and it, all right? Just saying. You're like, no, get that. Non, this is where you hug her. You hold her hand. In fact, if you're, if you're with somebody, will you just reach out, hold her hand right now? Go ahead. I'm waiting. I can wait all day long. Seriously. Hold her hand. All right? That's all it, it's non-sexual touch. All right. Psychologists have said that the first five minutes when you get home at the end of the day will set the tone for the rest of the evening of your family. The first five minutes. So just be affectionate. Number two, conversation. Conversation. Lots and lots of conversation. The average woman speaks about 20,000 words a day. Guys speak about 7,000 words a day. That means at the end of the day, we're like, uh, right? We're done. And, 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 and you're like, you know, you're pulling your own string. Right? Right? Because you've been at home with a preschooler. Right? And you want to have some adult talk time. So, I mean, picture this. And this happens all the time. A guy gets home from his work and says, and his wife says, how was your day? Well, fine. What did you do? Nothing. Uh, the usual. Uh, I had meetings. Okay? Uh, where'd you have meetings at? Uh, we went out to lunch. Where'd you eat? Chatters. What'd you get? And at this point, the guys are going, ah! I feel like I'm on the stand, and it's like, you can't handle the truth, right? It's like, what's happening? Right? Let me tell you, she is not giving you the nth degree because she doesn't believe you. You see, what she's trying to do is she wants more than your bullet points. 
She's trying to build rapport with you. In fact, uh, uh, Jeff Feldhan, uh, wrote, he wrote this in his book for men only. I should, if you're a guy, you t- totally need to get it. Because you open it up and, and, and it pulls down and it has your lady's needs like on a bullet point fashion. Because that's how we communicate, right? Men and women communicate differently for different reasons. For men, communicating is a report. Telling someone something they need to know, when they need to know it, in order for them to take action. But women... Totally different, right? It is about rapport, connecting with another person by joining them in their world with their feelings. And the big part of how you do that is by giving them the details. Oh my gosh. So it's not about the report, it's about the rapport. Listen to what Proverbs 15 says. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. So when she asks you all of these questions, she's not trying to be difficult. She's trying to enter into your world. She's trying to have conversation. That means, guys, you need to listen. Don't be distracted. I cannot, I'm one of these things, I'm going to be arrested. Let me tell you what it's going to be for. When I go to Outback or Logan's or Cheddar's or Charlie's, and Kim and I are sitting there, and we're talking, and I'm looking at a couple right next to us, and they're doing this. One of these days, I'm going to go, I'm going to go up to them and go, pop, I'm going to slap it out of their hands, and I'm going to be arrested, all right? Because I, 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 this is what I'm thinking. You, you love them, I assume. You know how to spell that, don't you? You love them. You want her heart. You want his heart. Don't give up. Don't communicate that this is the most important thing in your life. So that you can Instagram and put on Facebook the photo of the dessert you're sitting across with somebody you're not talking to. So give them priority. I'm telling you, I'm going to go to jail. All right. And then lastly, guys, resist the urge to fix it. She doesn't need you to fix it. She's smart. She doesn't need you to fix it. She needs you to listen to her and to understand how she feels about the problem. So don't offer your suggestions. You can do this, right? Do this. And then after a while, you know, throw in a, uh. You can do that, I promise you, all right? Number three, security, security. Uh, One of the woman's greatest needs is security, and many times it's special financial security. Ladies want to know that everything's going to be okay financially. uh, Physiologically, a woman's greatest fear is the loss of financial security and stability. Yet I hear Christian men say all the time, we're just going to leap out on faith. Uh, we're just going to pack the U-Haul. We don't even know where we're going to be going yet, but God's just going to lead us and he'll provide. And the woman is freaking out, right? She wants details, right? Fourth, family commitment. And this is just simply making her a priority. She wants to know that she is more important than your buddies. She's more important than your hobby. She's more important than hunting and fishing. Again, she's going to let you do that. We've already talked about that. But she wants to know that she is number one in your life. That's huge. Let me tell you, guys, if you don't get this right, you won't get it. Seriously, you have got to meet each other's needs. Y'all going to get me up here in trouble, all right? Here's the challenge, though, is this, as we close. We tend to want to love people the way we want to be loved, right? I mean, that's just naturally. We have a tendency to get ourselves and start investing in a way that adds value instead of just taking from our relationships. If we don't meet each other's needs and we act selfishly, it affects the relationship. And it's kind of like this. It's this statement up here. I think every relationship is a lot like a debit card. 
there's a penalty for overdrafting the account. That's true. I was talking to a person last week who's, uh, uh, he has a daughter that just didn't quite get the concept of the debit card. Um, she went out and she would buy stuff, buy stuff, buy stuff. And of course, you know how a debit card works. It's attached to your checking account. And if you ain't got money in the checking account, you ain't going to buy it, right? It's just that simple, right? She says, well, let's just, you know, get the line of credit up higher. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. And see, what happened is she paid hundreds of dollars worth of overdraft penalties because she overdrafted the account. And I think every human relationship is like this. And I'm not just talking about men and women and marriage. I'm talking about friendships. Some of you stink as friends because all you do is take and you never do invest. That's all you do. Some of us, we stink as a spouse because all we do is this and we never do pour into her or pour into him. What happens when you overdraft the account, you pay a penalty. There's a price to be paid. There's a cost associated with it. And when we take and take and take and never invest back in, it will destroy intimacy. Here's our big idea today. Selfishness destroys intimacy. That's it. Selfishness destroys intimacy. So we have to be able to ask the question, how can I learn to invest back in that relationship? And I'm just going to give you just a few things and we're done. First one is I want you to sit down with your spouse and I want you to ask this question, how can I love you more? How can I love you more? How am I doing? Am I meeting your needs? On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you think we're doing? What can I do to take it closer to a 10? And then sit back, listen, and don't be defensive. Listen. Let me say this. Sexual issues aren't solved in the bedroom. They are solved in our hearts. Why? Because selfishness destroys intimacy. Selfishness destroys intimacy. But let me say this. It is rebuilt by selflessness. Selfishness destroys intimacy, but it is rebuilt by selflessness. So my challenge for you today is I want you to focus not on getting your needs met. Because here's what's naturally going to happen. We're going to say, okay, listen, I'm, it's, it's like a hostage exchange. I'm going to give you what you want, but you've got to give me what you want. But let me tell you, I don't think that's the type of love that God's telling us to love with. Why? Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, that he loved, we love because he first loved us. Talking about Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't wait for me to meet his needs. Jesus didn't focus on what he wasn't getting himself into. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our act together. He just loved us in spite of it. And what's so interesting? We didn't measure up, but because he loved us and poured into us, guess what? We start to measure up because we become more like Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, if you focused on not getting your needs met, but by meeting your spouse's needs... Maybe, just maybe, you'll see a change in the relationship. Because you're not treating it like a hostage exchange. That's being selfish. And guess what? Selfishness destroys intimacy. But selflessness, it rebuilds intimacy. So my challenge for you this morning is this next week, I want, guys, I want you to love her. 
I want you to show how much. I want you to use your words, right? Buy flowers. Some of you are like, they're going to die in two days. So might your love. Do small, some you may think is stupid things. Do those small things to let her know how much she means to you. You've got to get creative in how you romance her. And it's not just, hey, you want to go see The Choice? Right? Going to a movie, how much communication is happening? Zilch. Right? So do something besides taking her to go see the new Avengers movie. Right? Go do something fun. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. And ladies, you get creative too. He gets creative in romancing. You get creative with a bedroom confession. That's all I got to say about that. All right? I'm going to pray for us. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope that what you learned was helpful. And I pray that as we come back next week and we look at the second bedroom confession, I pray, I pray that we have, we're a church that has stronger marriages because we're relying on Jesus who is our Lord and Savior. God, we thank you so much, Heavenly Father. We thank you so much, God, that we can be able to come to you today. I pray for those people who are single here. I pray for those people who are married. I pray for those people who are married that want to be single. And I pray for those singles again, God. There's so many of us, Lord, all of us, we're in the status where many times we just don't feel contentment. But Lord, I pray that wherever situation we're in, Lord, that we would be able to love you well and that we would be able to love other people well. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, God. And I pray as we close today, Lord, we would just be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.